Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, helping you make the jump from high school athletics to the collegiate level and beyond with your host, Michael Huber. Quarterback is probably the single most important and difficult position in team sports. The position demands athleticism, intelligence, poise, and elite decision-making skills. Those who excel at the position must be truly gifted, and even so, it is not a guarantee of a professional career. My guest on this episode, Bill Burke, is a perfect example of this. Bill played quarterback at Michigan State University, my dear alma mater, from 1996 to 1999. During that time, Bill started at quarterback his final two seasons. Bill discusses some of his great wins, including beating number one ranked Ohio State in 1998 and beating Tom Brady's highly ranked Michigan team in 1999. He also talks about playing for the legendary Nick Saban. Despite his success, he spent only one preseason in the NFL, demonstrating how difficult it is to play quarterback professionally. Bill has moved on to a successful professional life outside of football, including hosting the Dropback Podcast, where he interviews former quarterbacks about their experiences and life lessons playing the most difficult position in team sports. I'm excited for this conversation. Let's build your foundation on this bonus episode with Bill Burke. Hey, Bill, how's it going? Good, Michael. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so... Even though I've had Coach uh, Coach Boss from Michigan State Baseball on, you are the first official Spartan alum to join the podcast other than the host. How, <laughs> it's great to have a fellow Spartan here. <laughs> well, I'm honored. It, it's always great to talk to somebody who's uh, got the green and white on like you do. And, you know, there's here in Michigan where I live, you know, you never know when you're going to walk around the corner and, and run into somebody in maize and blue. So it's always good to see a fellow Spartan. <laughs> Well, we have a lot of there's a lot of those here in New Jersey too, but there's also more and more Spartans, so uh, it's starting to balance out a little bit. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because our meeting was a coincidence. I mean, we didn't know each other in college, even though we overlapped, um, but we just happened to sort of connect online. But can you just for those listening or not familiar with Michigan State football and and shame on them? Can you just tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I'm originally from Ohio. I've got some roots some uh, from really my younger days in Pennsylvania. That's where my parents are from. But I, for the most part, grew up in Ohio, ended up at uh, Michigan State, uh, loved football from the very beginning, from the time I was, um, you know, five years old. And, and that's really tied in closely to my time in Western Pennsylvania. Uh, my parents are from a little town south of Pittsburgh. And this is the late 70s and early 80s when the Pittsburgh Steelers, if you're a football fan, you know what they were doing during those years. You know, they were winning the Super Bowl pretty much every year. And, you know, in, in those days, uh, you know, there were three channels on TV. And, and, you know, for whatever reason, I just gravitated towards sports in general, always had a ball in my hand and, and loved the sport of football, loved watching the Steelers. And, Terry Bradshaw and Lynn Swan and all those great names. Uh, if you just this past weekend watched the NFL Hall of Fame uh, enshrinement, you saw Troy Palomalo go in. He obviously didn't play at that time. But uh, football has just been a part of my life uh, and sports in general, really, uh, since the very beginning. But I uh, grew up in uh, northeastern Ohio, uh, continued to play football every year from the time I was eight years old. And, you know, there was an organized, um, uh, you know, football league at that age uh, when I finally moved to Ohio. And so, mm -hmm. of course, I, I was first in line to do that and uh, loved every minute of it, you know, loved just uh, anytime I could grabbing somebody to come out in the street in the backyard and, and just throw the ball around a little bit. So, um, yeah, now I live in Michigan. Um, I obviously uh, went to school at Michigan State, but uh, after a, a few different stops and, and a few different, uh, you know, pursuits, I, I decided to uh, to call this home. I, I met my wife here. She's a Lansing girl. So, uh, love it. And, uh, now we've got two young kids and, uh, we're getting them involved in sports and, uh, yeah. So that's basically here we are. Excellent. So were you always a quarterback? You know, I was, I, but interestingly enough, again, going back to the Steelers, I wanted to be a receiver. I wanted to be Lynn Swan. And I remember throwing the football with my dad in the street one day and 
he asked me what position I wanted to play. And I said, receiver. And he said, nah, you don't want to be a receiver. You want to be a quarterback. You know, everybody wants to be a quarterback. Uh, but at that time, I didn't really know what that meant. You know, I didn't know what it really meant to be a quarterback. I had never played organized football at that point. Uh, but as I, you know, started to get into it a little bit and I started to, um, you know, learn what it meant, but how I actually became a quarterback, I, I went out to that first year at eight years old and uh, the coach was throwing to all of the kids uh, routes and everybody was running routes. And, uh, you know, he threw a pass, a pass to me. I don't know whether I dropped it or it went over my head, but I picked it up and I threw it back to him. And I guess at that time I had somewhat of a strong arm because the ball went sailing over his head. And he said, why don't you come here and throw these routes to everybody else? And the rest, as they say, is history. And I was a quarterback from that day forward. So um, never enjoyed playing defense, <laughs> never enjoyed hitting anybody. I just wanted to uh, have the ball in my hand and, and throw it as much as I could. Yeah, as I learned playing football growing up and playing through high school, that if you don't love hitting, football's probably not the game for you unless you play quarterback and can keep yourself clean. <laughs> Otherwise, you're sticking your nose in it every play. It's You got to love it. <laughs> Yeah. And then when, when they would put me at defensive back, you know, that's the last line of defense. And I was just, you know, praying that, that somebody up front was going to make the tackle. So I didn't have to stick my nose in there. I don't have any shame <laughs> in, in saying that now that my career is long over, but yeah, no, I definitely enjoyed the uh, offensive side a lot better. So in addition to football, did you play other sports growing up? I uh, played a couple of years of little league baseball, you know, wasn't really great at that. I guess I could have pursued pitching a little bit, um, could not hit a ball to save my life, uh, played a couple of years of basketball. Uh, that was, you know, middle school and ninth grade, but I just got to that point. I realized that, you know what, I'm going to concentrate on football. It's, it's my number one love. And, uh, that's really what I'm going to do. So, um, I never looked back, you know, I never, never regretted it. I, I've always had some general athletic ability, but, uh, yeah, football was what I knew that I loved. And it's the only thing that I really wanted to concentrate on. So, so at what point did you sort of, what point did you have a sense that, you know, college football, particularly at the level you played at in the big 10 was a, was a real possibility? Well, you know, to be honest with you, Michael, I was really naive. You know, there's so much awareness around all this stuff and recruiting these days, but back then, you know, I didn't have anybody in my family that, that had played really. And I didn't, I didn't know what the, uh, you know, what the path was like. So, and in my high school, no matter how talented you were, if you were a freshman and even mostly a sophomore, you didn't play varsity. It was just kind of a situation where, you know, juniors and seniors played and you just kind of waited your turn. Uh, but I think I had some talent that, that really stood out. And so our, our team wasn't, our varsity team wasn't doing all that great. Um, and so finally, some of the assistant coaches convinced the head coach to let me start midway through uh, my sophomore year. We were on the road against a really big uh, Division One opponent. And I ended up playing really well. I think I threw for about 250 yards and a couple touchdowns. And I remember coming off the field after one of those touchdowns and, uh, you know, my teammates were high-fiving me and, and my backup quarterback at that time who was older than me, he said, man, you're going to have colleges all over you. You know, you're going to have offers and, and phone calls and letters. And I didn't, this sounds ridiculous, but I didn't know what he was talking about. I, I didn't know really what a scholarship was. I didn't know how it worked. I watched college football on TV, but... I didn't know how, how you got there or how those guys ended up doing that. Um, so I was really naive about it. But after that, I first got, or I got my first letter actually um, that year for, uh, from George Perlis at Michigan State. But what's funny is I never got another one after that until three years later when Nick Saban beha became the head coach. So it was kind of weird that I ended up there at Michigan State and I got my first letter from that school, but there was some in-between time there where, you know, I really wasn't in communication with the school at all. It's interesting now, because like you said, there's so much more awareness around the re recruiting process. But even now, what I find with families is if a parent, one or, or both of the parents didn't go through the recruiting process as an athlete, even still, it's hard for parents to figure out, even though it's, it's much more transparent than it was, you know, 25 years ago. Um, so I can only imagine what it was like for you, you know, when you were being recruited in the nineties, like did your, your parents, were they, were they athletes or did they have an athletic background? No, not at all. Neither one played high school sports. Uh, I know that, you know, once, uh, it was kind of known that I had some talent, uh, you know, there was a, uh, I believe a, a recruiting service, you know, that they, you could pay some money, they would 
you know, offer to get your name out there. Uh, so we signed up for that. I, I don't know how much that actually helped me. Uh, you know, I, I tend to think that if you're talented enough, you know, people are going to find you. Um, so we did that, you know, my parents wanted to give me every, every option, you know, to be successful. And, and I certainly thank them for that. But um, no, there was nobody, nobody really guiding me, you know, and, and there wasn't a ton of big time athletes that came out of my school, even though we were somewhat of a bigger school. Um, you know, it was kind of the wild west. And I was just kind of figuring it out as I went and, um, you know, really didn't know the ins and outs of it, but, you know, just feel fortunate to have landed where I did. Um, you know, cause I, there for a while, I thought I was going to have just a hundred options, you know, of big time schools and it didn't really pan out that way, but I'm lucky to have landed at Michigan state. So what, what did the process look like? I mean, who, what, what were your, what were your choices and sort of how did you narrow it down to the point where you said, okay, Michigan state's the place I want to be. Well, I always dreamt about playing major Division One college football. I wanted to go to a big school, and I, I think I, I let that be known pretty early on. I, I think I could have had a lot of offers and opportunities at maybe MAC schools, um, but when it came time to play or to get offers from schools like Michigan State, the Big Ten, and other major conferences around the country, there really weren't a lot of those. And I had an official visit set up to uh, the University of Maryland, which I really liked because at the time they were running an offense called the run and shoot. And they threw a ball a lot. I really liked that. Uh, they recruited me the heaviest out of anyone. I mean, I got constant letters and phone calls, uh, even went down there just on my own uh, during the summer just to check things out. Um, but when it came time to take my official visit, I was there on campus. I talked to the head coaches and I, I came away from that visit without any scholarship offers. And, and I was really wanting to go there. So I actually called up the uh, the coaches after the visit and I said, hey, I want to come here. And they said, we're sorry, we just don't have a, a scholarship for you. We actually are going to take another quarterback. And so I was pretty devastated by that. I, I had an official visit set up to uh, the University of Minnesota as well. And if I remember correctly, they were going to have a scholarship for me. Didn't really want to go there. Uh, you know, their program wasn't even what it is today. Uh, still further north in Michigan, you know, the weather, the, the snow doesn't really uh, appeal to me, even though I've been in the Midwest my entire life and live in Michigan now. Um, but once Nick Saban uh, took over at Michigan State, um, you know, they were kind of scrambling to, you know, put together a recruiting class. Uh, he, he was a coach with the Cleveland Browns and they were in the playoffs that year. So he had to wait till his season was done before he could kind of get his staff together and start recruiting for Michigan State. So it was late in the game and I was starting to panic a little bit. You know, I, I certainly, I think would have had some college football options, maybe at a lower level, but um, really wanted to, to be at a big time school. And uh, so once Nick Saban assembled a staff, I got a phone call, uh, had a meeting with a coach at my house. He asked me for some tape. Uh, he told me that if, I sent that in and our offense coordinator liked what he saw. Then they'd have me up for an official visit. And, you know, I was sitting on the edge of my seat waiting for that call and, and hoping that they liked what they saw. He called me, said they did like it, um, which I was very relieved to hear. And so we scheduled that visit. That was in January. And uh, when I was up there and now I made sure to ask the coaching staff, you know, do I have a scholarship here because of what happened with Maryland? I, I didn't really know what I was getting into. So I wanted to make sure that I communicated exactly what we were talking about on this visit. And they said, Nope, you've got it. We're going to give you everything that the NCAA allows us to give you. Uh, so that was a relief. And then after talking to my parents a little bit and just kind of checking out the campus, um, I decided to commit right then and there that weekend. And I wanted to make sure too, that, that Michigan state looked like I had envisioned my college experience looking like, you know, I wanted to make sure the campus you know, was was a college town, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a community feel, even though it was a bigger school with a lot of students. I wanted, you know, that vision to line up with uh, with reality. So that definitely happened. And, um, you know, luckily I, I signed not sh not long after that. And, and uh, you know, I'm so glad that I did. That's awesome. I mean, listen, having spent four years in East Lansing, you know, I'm biased, but I mean, I've been to a lot of college towns, but I mean, it sort of fits the the profile, right? Of the perfect college town, huge campus, a lot of students, but it really is a small community. It's a, it's a great place to go to school. Oh, absolutely. You know, you, you got the stadium, which is in right in the middle of campus, um, amid all the other academic buildings, you've got a nice river that runs, 
you know, right through campus. It's really picturesque. And, uh, you know, I just love it. I, I loved it so much that, that I decided to stick around, you know, the stadium and the campus is about five year, or five miles down the road from where I'm at now. Yeah. I'll never forget my freshman year. And I'm a little bit older than you, but I grew up in the East and I had never been, I've never experienced college football. We're pro football out where I grew up in Long Island, right? It's Jets and Giants and we didn't really have any major college football. So I remember early in the season, my freshman year, I think it was the first football game at home and they were playing Northwestern. And I woke up, I lived right in Case Hall across from the Mun Ice Arena uh, parking lot, the, the grass. And I look out the window, I'm like, what the hell is going on here? There was like, you know, a thousand cars out there at like eight o'clock in the morning. And I didn't realize that there was a tailgate. Like I didn't, had no yeah. idea. And I was like, what is going on in this place? But people were crazy about it. And eventually I figured it out and I learned to love it. But it's, it's just a different it's a different universe. And so to have the opportunity to play football in Spartan stadium in front of some really great fans, that must've been a very, very cool experience. Yeah, absolutely. So what I'm curious, what, uh, brought you from New Jersey all the way to East Lansing? You know what? Dumb luck. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life in college because I, I was an athlete in high school. I started three years football, two years baseball, but I was, I was a 210 pound center and I wasn't going anywhere football for sure. And baseball didn't work out. So it was like, well, I don't really know what I want to do with myself. And I just knew I didn't want to stay home. And my high school, uh, college, my high school guidance counselor went to Michigan state, strangely enough. And she's like, you should try it. You'd love it there. And, and, you'll, and you'll be able to get in. Uh, the standards were much, much lower than they are now, which I think have come up extremely high in terms of getting yeah. in academically. Got, I was the last school I applied to. The first one I got into and it was either stay home or go. And I was like, I'm going. <laughs> so I went and showed up on campus and learned to live in the Midwest. And I was an East Coast kid with a thick accent and it took a while to adjust. But my second year, I was really settled in and I just, I, I just loved it. I loved the environment. It was just a great place to be. Um, and so did you have any, I was wondering, do you have any, did you have any like dreams or desires to play at Ohio State or Penn State because of your background and where you came from? You know, I didn't. I, I didn't have a, a a clear cut college team that I loved as much as I loved the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm -hmm. um, so I went and checked out uh, the University of Pittsburgh. That was right downtown. Went to see a game there. Um, you know, Penn State was okay. I actually really didn't like Ohio State at that time. They were more of a, uh, you know, an I formation, you know, run the football, uh, type of organization, but you know, it really comes down to, you want to go where you're wanted. And, and I didn't really get any of that from Ohio State. You know, I, that's one of the big reasons why I wanted to go to the university of Maryland there for a little while, because they were showing a very strong interest in me actually went down to a, a, a game at Ohio State just on an unofficial visit. And uh, I, I remember being at the, the get-together there for the football team, and nobody talked to me. You know, there were no coaches that, that you know, even knew who I was. I, I, I could have just been a, you know, a, a face in the crowd, and it wouldn't have mattered. I, I, so, you know, you don't really want to pursue a place where you don't feel welcomed. And uh, so, no, to answer your question, I, I really didn't have a major college team that I loved. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, so tell me about, okay, you make the choice to go to Michigan state, um, and you arrive on campus as a freshman football player. What, what was that like for you going from high school in Ohio <laughs> to being a freshman on a campus in the big 10 playing football? It was definitely a shock to the system. You know, when you're a high school player, at least when I was a high school player, uh, you know, uh, your day of school lets out, you, you go down to the football field and you're there for a couple hours at practice and then you go home. And that's really it. Uh, when I showed up on campus uh, to report for freshman camp, I thought I would just kind of check in. I'd be able to kind of walk around campus with my parents, check it out, um, just kind of take it easy that day and, and slowly get myself acclimated to college life. And that was not uh, the case at all. I, I mean, you showed up. Uh, you were issued gear, you were given a strength test, uh, you were giving an eye test, a complete physical, um, you know, you had to run a mile and a half. You had to do all sorts of testing. Uh, you had to go take academic tests. Uh, you know, I, I basically said mm -hmm. goodbye to my parents the second that, that we walked up to the registration table 
And I didn't see him really until the very next day. I think they went um, to get me a bike, you know, buy me a bike to have on campus. And, uh, you know, it, it was a whirlwind of just uh, activities and uh, itineraries. And it really never stopped, you know, in, in five years that I was there. You, you do learn to adjust a little bit and you, you do learn where you can kind of uh, steal some rest and some relaxation, you know, of course, as you get older. But that first initial uh, freshman camp was really, really difficult um, because it was just all football. There was not even any going to class at that point because the regular students were not on campus. Class had not started. And the upperclassmen on the football mm -hmm. team had not reported yet. Those first three days were just all freshmen. And so we were taking every single rep in practice and we were just exhausted. Um, we did get a little relief when the, uh, the upperclassmen showed up because now they've got to get their reps in because they're going to be doing most of the playing during the game. So we got some more rest, which, is, which was a relief. But the big difference from high school to college for me were the number of meetings. I mean, it wasn't just the two and a half hours on, on the practice field. It was anytime there was any extra time at all. If you weren't eating or practicing, you were watching film in a meeting room or installing plays. And that was really difficult. That takes some stamina, you know, from an 18 year old high school kid who's used to just practicing two hours a day and then going home. And, you know, you've really got to zero in and, and realize that football is now your main job, you know, and it's, it's not, it's not a high school level anymore. You're, you've committed, you've committed to this and, uh, you know, this is what it takes in order to be successful. But the nice thing was, you know, you were in the same boat with a lot of other freshmen, so you could kind of lean on each other. And that's really what makes the camaraderie so great is, you know, you're not the only one going through it. So without question, it was a huge, huge adjustment. So I'm curious, like in retrospect, right, looking back at high school, do you think there's anything you could have done in high school from a mental preparation standpoint to have prepared you for that transition? Or do you think that no matter what you did, it was just going to be, you know, to use the proverbial drinking through the fire hose? Well, I, I think so, but I think it's really, really difficult. You know, some of these guys, some of these athletes now who – have somebody in their life who's been through it and who also have the almost mm -hmm. maniacal desire to do it can set mm -hmm. themselves up in high school to kind of um, almost be that self-disciplined to set up some things for themselves that will be similar to what they're going to go through. But, um, you know, again, just being me and, and not really knowing at all what I was getting into, it was definitely a shock to my system. So, to answer your question, if I had to say yes or no, I, I would guess the answer would be no. I mean, it's very difficult to duplicate uh, that process. It's just from the time you open your eyes in the morning till, you know, the time you go to bed at night, um, sun up to sundown. And I can actually remember, uh, you know, you mentioned Munn Field, the field that you referenced across from your dorm. Uh, I remember we were actually staying in that dormitory uh, during that freshman camp. And at this time in Michigan, there was uh, something called the Michigan Fest. And it was a big concert, a big uh, festival. And it was right on campus. And we were in the dorm at night. It was dark. We had just finished a long day. And now the students were back, uh, the non-athlete students, the regular students were back on campus. And on the side of the dorm were, it was all glass. So you could see out to the field from the stairwell and uh, l little did we know that at the time, this was the mid-90s, so Hootie and the Blowfish was a big uh, musical group, popular music musical group at the time. And they were headlining this festival. And we look out, and that field is all lit up. And there are thousands and thousands of college students out there just having, you know, the time of their lives. And uh, we were locked in this dorm, and we had curfew. We had bed check. We could <laughs> not leave. We couldn't go check it out, you know, and come back. It, that was not even a thought. So it was very difficult because you see what you're missing and you realize what a sacrifice it is. But, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It, it definitely is an experience that not everybody gets to have. And I think a lot of those people on that field, those students would have traded with us, um, you know, at least, at least, you know, at first thought, you know, mm -hmm. without knowing the sacrifice, the sacrifice and the work that it takes. Uh, but, there are definitely trade-offs. 
Big time. So when you were there as a freshman, who's in the quarterback room? Jim Miller, Tony Banks? Uh, Tony Banks was in his senior year. Jim Miller had already graduated. Uh, so it, okay. was, it was Tony Banks. Uh, there was Todd Schultz, who was uh, a year behind mm-hmm. Jim, maybe two. Um, and I think it was my freshman year. A guy named Gus Ornstein uh, had been a huge recruit sure. nationally for uh, Notre Dame, had gone to Notre Dame, then transferred in to Michigan State. So before he did that, I think I was the only quarterback in my recruiting class uh, to go to Michigan State. So when he signed up, I thought, wow, you know, this is this is going to be even more competitive than I thought. Uh, and he was such a big time recruit that everybody thought he was just going to kind of step in and take over once, uh, you know, the guys above mm-hmm. us were gone. Um, and then of course, you know, there was always, uh, a handful of walk-ons, you know, our, our quarterback room got pretty big at times. Um, but a lot of good guys, a lot of different mm-hmm. personalities. And, and that's really one of the cool parts of being a college athlete. You know, you're and football specifically, you're on a team with a hundred other people, you know, from all different parts of the country, all different backgrounds. Uh, and you're going through this really difficult experience. And so you've got to find creative ways to, uh, you know, to make each other laugh and to, uh, you know, to just get through the tough times. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a definitely a, an interesting quarterback room. And I, I really feel fortunate that I had the opportunity to watch a guy like Tony Banks, who ended up being uh, a second round draft pick in the NFL, definitely an NFL quarterback. And I would watch him every day at practice and just be amazed at his natural throwing ability. Um you know, I, I never saw the guy throw a pass that wasn't a perfect spiral. And I'm not exaggerating. And everybody throws a, a wobbler now and again. I don't know what it was about his motion, uh, but it was just a, a perfect spiral every single time. And really, he made a lot of the right reads. Our, our offensive coordinator and quarterback coach at the time was a very difficult guy, very demanding, expected perfection. And Tony was the only guy that really never got yelled at during practice. Uh, and it was amazing, you know, I, I, and then he graduated and left and all of us guys that remained just got ripped, uh, by coach tranquil every single day of practice, <laughs> which was very difficult to go through, but he got the best out of us. But at the same time, you know, it was kind of a, a common bond with us as well, because we could all just laugh at how much, um, right. you know, we all got yelled at and, and, and criticized, but he got the best out of us for sure. I, I want to ask you about your progression from freshman to senior. But I, I just, as I was thinking about Tony Banks, cause I was there with Jim Miller, Jim Miller was a starter when I came in and then Tony Banks came in. But then I think about all the guys that were on in that, on that team or on in those years, Moose and Muhammad, Derek Mason. I mean, these are like borderline hall of fame kind of guys to have the opportunity to play football with them and learn from those kinds of guys. It had to be really cool. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned a couple of those guys. Musin Muhammad was an NFL guy. Derek Mason played in the league for I don't know how many years. Um, just great, great receivers. I got an opportunity earlier in my career as a redshirt freshman and as a redshirt sophomore uh, to throw to a couple of those guys. Uh, Derek Mason, I got a couple of starts when I was younger because of injuries. Uh, yeah, Derek Mason, I enjoyed watching him in the NFL. He was such a the quintessential slot receiver just could get open, find those spots in the zones and, and make the play on third down when you needed it. Um, yeah, it was very cool to, to, you know, not just to play with them at the time, but then to see where their careers went in the NFL and just to kind of think back to when I was with them and, you know, some of the things I learned and, and how those guys made me better, you know, because I had to kind of step up my game in order to, to play at that level. I, I can only imagine. And then having the opportunity of played, for Nick Saban, who at the time, none of us would have predicted what his career would become. Um, but what was it, what was that experience like playing for him? Well, if you follow college football today and you you get a glimpse of him on the sideline, nothing has really changed. I mean, it was (laughs) exactly the same way, uh, you know, back in, in the mid nineties at Michigan state, he was very difficult, very demanding. Um, you know, I could tell stories about how, detail oriented he was he certainly was at a different spot in his career so he was trying to make a name for himself and I think by his own admission he was maybe a little bit um, too demanding at times you know just trying to get the program turned around because when he took over there were some uh, some NCAA violations and and, uh, probation so he was trying to really change the culture 
And the guys that were there before he showed up and stayed there after he came into the, the program really noticed the difference. I didn't really have that luxury because I was in his first recruiting class. So right. I, that's all I knew. Uh, but he was very, very demanding, uh, you know, all year round. Um, the off-season program, spring ball in the summer, um, just knew exactly what his system was and what he wanted it to be. And, you know, very, very direct and, and to the point, if you're not going to be involved in the program and buy in, then you're probably not going to be around very long. But that's what it took to, you know, turn the program around and, and to start getting it headed in the right direction, get some big wins. And that's what it really what it takes. You know, it, it's not always easy. Uh, doesn't always look pretty, but um, he definitely is, as you can tell, you know, the greatest college football coach of all time for very specific reasons. And, you know, I've talked about it on my show, you know, with a couple of guys that have played with him or for him as well. And, you know, you, it's interesting. There are so many other coaches that really try and duplicate, duplicate what he's doing, um, but really can't do it. And, and so it's fascinating to me why that is. And he's just got that, that, that it factor that, you know, he's got his system down and, and a lot of it I think is just innate in him. I think a lot of it is uh, his upbringing. And if you read about that, that's very interesting and very in line with his philosophies and his style of coaching now. So, uh, it definitely was difficult, uh, no question about it, but, uh, I wouldn't change it for the world because I learned so much, uh, about, you know, what it takes to be successful. And, and most of that, uh, came from Nick Saban. So what, what was that progression like from the time you walk in on campus to the point where you're a senior and you're starting for Nick Saban? Like, talk me through kind of what that looks like through those four or five years that you're there, you know, in the quarterback room. Well, my first year I was redshirted. Uh, second year, now I'm now a redshirt freshman. Uh, um, and Tony Banks has now graduated. And I think, as you know, backup quarterback is the most popular position on the field, uh, not just with the fans, but with some of the coaches sometimes as well. Because, you know, as a coach, I'm trying to put myself in their shoes. And you're always looking to upgrade. You're always looking to increase the quality of talent on your squad. And I think as a young coach, Nick Saban was constantly trying to do that. So when I was a backup and a young guy as a redshirt freshman, redshirt sophomore, I could tell that, you know, the coaches weren't thrilled with uh, Todd Schultz or the other starters. So, you know, I could move around a little bit. I wasn't the fastest guy, but I was a little more mobile than some of the other guys. So I had made a couple of plays, you know, scrambling for a first down or something like that. And, and I was pretty good with my, um, the intelligence side of the game. You know, I, I got to the point where I learned the offense really well and, I kind of figured out how to impress the coaches that way. If they signaled in a play from the sideline before they even completed the signals, I would just turn to the huddle and start calling the plays because I could put the formation with the play together. It was like putting a puzzle together. And I think they appreciated that. You know, you want to be able to know that your quarterback, if something goes wrong or if there's not enough time to get the whole play and you can kind of piece that together when you need to, um, and so I was able to kind of figure out how to set myself apart that way. Um, but I got some starts as a redshirt freshman. I know my very first start was absolutely awful. I was so nervous. Uh, I think my first seven or eight passes during the game were nowhere close, and most of them were actually end over end. <laughs> uh, I, 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 well, the part of the problem was I found out like an hour before the game that I was going to be starting. I was sitting in the locker room. And uh, one of the assistants said, hey, Bill, Nick wants to see you uh, in his office in the stadium. And I said, I didn't realize coach had an office in the stadium. So I, I walked out of our locker room. It was actually across the tunnel and over by the visitor's locker room. So I had to ask somebody where it was. And, and anyway, he, he's sitting there and he says, you know, you could see he was kind of agonizing over the over the decision. But he says, you're going to start. Uh, I can't remember what else he said, but I, I just was extremely nervous. Um, went out there. Uh, like I said, my first eight or nine passes weren't even close, but my first completion was actually a long touchdown pass. And after that, I just kind of settled down. I uh, went on to play you know, pretty well. We, we won the game pretty easily against uh, Eastern Michigan. Uh, Coach Saban, after on the field, said you know, that he thought I played pretty well. And I actually... I didn't say this, but I kind of disagreed with him in my own head because of, you know, how I started the game. It was just ugly and awful, mm -hmm. but um, 
the next the next week went on the road um, against Iowa. Again, was a little nervous through a couple touchdown passes, though we ended up losing the game late um, and played sparingly, you know, throughout the next couple of years as uh, the starter would come back from injury, get healthy, you know, sometimes get injured again. So uh, finally got my time mm-hmm. as a junior. Everybody above me had graduated, and I thought it was finally my turn. But I actually uh, did realize that the coaches had some other ideas in mind. Now I'm a I'm a junior, and they have just recruited a hotshot uh, true freshman from the state of Michigan, uh, Ryan Van Dyke, who I actually had on my show, uh, episode three. Um, and he was a much higher recruit, uh, you know, than I was, and they wanted to get him on the field and get him some playing time. So first game of that year, we actually shared time, and uh, he's a true freshman. I'm a junior. Um, we ended up losing that game against Colorado State. The next week at Oregon, we got crushed. He actually got injured, and it was out for several weeks and battled some injuries for most of that season. Um, we were very inconsistent that year as a team. We really didn't know what our identity was. We would beat you know, a, a highly ranked Notre Dame team but then lose to a, a Minnesota team that was unranked. Um, finally got to the point late in the season when um, uh, Ryan got healthy. We still went back to sharing time, and now we're going down to Columbus to take on the number one Ohio State Buckeyes. And, uh, you know, that's my home state. I'm excited. Um, And I find out, you know, before the game that we're going to be sharing time again. And and I really was not happy about that at all. I kind of, you know, really been so tight and and put so much pressure on myself um, and thinking about becoming the starter. You know, my dream was right there on, on the doorstep. And uh, it just seemed like no matter how close I got to it, it just kept getting pulled a little further away from me. So we told uh, we were told we were going to uh, share time again, but I started the game. We got hot early, uh, made some big completions, made some big plays. And much to Nick Saban's credit, he just left me on the field. I never came out. And, um, you know, so I was thrilled about that. You know, there were a lot of ups and downs during the game. And if you want to hear the story about, uh, you know, we were 28-point underdogs going into that game against the number one team in the country. Nobody thought we could win. We were unranked. We were 4-4 four and four at that time. And late in the third quarter, it was 17-9. to nine. We were down. We were in the game, though. You know, we were very, very encouraged mm-hmm. um, about where we were at that point. And I threw an interception that got returned for a touchdown. And it was just really devastating to me because I knew that we were in that game and I did not want to be the reason that we lost that game. And, um, you know, I came off the field really upset with myself. Coach Saban tried to talk to me. Um, I didn't really give him the time to do that. (laughs) He just kind of turned back to the field and and kept coaching, but, uh, we went on to win that game, um, which was fantastic. Uh, finished that season six and six did not go to a bowl game. And then my senior year, um, again, now we're a year older, a little more mature. We've got an identity. We start the season off kind of hot with a win against Oregon and a couple of games into the season, it's clear that we are a different team this year and, uh, had some big wins that year, uh, started the season off six and oh, uh, beat Notre Dame, beat Tom Brady in Michigan. Uh, the next two weeks we lost to Purdue and, um, Wisconsin and that's what I referenced earlier. I think Nick Saban would, would admit, or, or he actually said in, in some book that he just kind of wore us out, uh, you know, and didn't give us enough rest to recuperate, you know, at that point in the season. So lost those games, you know, they weren't even close, uh, but we recovered, won the rest of our games, finished the regular season nine and two, and then went on to beat Florida in the uh, Citrus Bowl. Finished mm-hmm. that year, uh, ranked number seven in the country. And uh, for me personally, you know, that was really the last college game, really the last football game that I ever played in my career, but it was a great way to go out. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously when you mentioned beating Tom Brady, I mean, that's something that you can never, you could take with it, take with you forever. But I think 
think about playing Purdue in 1999, I would have to say that Drew Brees was the, the starting quarterback on the other side. So you played against some pretty damn good football players. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a tough conference that year. Uh, it really was difficult. You know, Ron Dane won the Heisman Trophy. He ran all over us yes. at Wisconsin. Uh, so at, that, the Big Ten was extremely tough uh, at that point. Uh, yeah, a lot of people, you know, ask me about the Ohio State game in 98. You know, they ask me what my favorite game is, uh, the bowl game, obviously, uh, with Florida. But my favorite game is, is my senior year uh, against Michigan um, for a couple of reasons. Two years earlier, Michigan and Michigan State were both undefeated going into that game. There was a lot of hype, and Michigan won that game pretty easily. Uh, so... That was kind of the wrap on Michigan State. They'd start off the season pretty hot. Then they'd fall apart uh, midway through. And we didn't want to be that team that, that did that anymore. So that year, you know, we both were undefeated again. And college game day was there. Uh, uh, they were ranked third. We were ranked 11th, I think. And, uh, you know, we just knew from the very beginning that we had them, you know, in for as many yards as I threw for and as many points as we scored and all the records we broke, it really came down to our offensive and defensive lines really pushed them around um, more than they pushed us around. And that was really the difference in the game, in, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was really fun, actually, to watch our defense just harass Tom Brady and also Drew Henson at the time. Um, and then we got over that hump. You know, we, we won that elusive game against Michigan to remain undefeated. And I'll never forget uh, when that game was over, none of the fans got up and, and really left the stadium. You know, everybody just kind of stayed and celebrated. And it was just a really cool scene. It, it was a good to do that at home as well. You know, it's it's always uh, nice to win those big games in front of the home crowd as well. So, yeah, that's one I'll never forget. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. Now, I ha I'm going to indulge myself here as a fan. So when when Michigan State beat Notre Dame in 99, that was under the lights, right? Were you the starter for that game? Was it that 99? was that was ninety eight. That was my junior year. We played at Notre Dame during the day in ninety nine. Okay, no, because I was living in Chicago at the time, and I remember watching that game with a bunch of domers who end up being close friends of mine to to the to this day. And it was like forty two to three at halftime, and yeah. Julian Peterson <laughs> ran back that touchdown, and I just. I'll never forget it. They hate me forever for that because I was so obnoxious because they were talking so much smack all week about how they were going to kill us. So I'll never forget that. I, it's total non sequitur, but I had to bring it up. Well, that was <laughs> that was a weird game because it was one of the few games I've ever been a part of where it literally felt like it didn't matter what we did. It was going to go right. You know, it the ball just bounced into people's hands the right way. You know, the every pass was where you wanted it to go. It we had big punt returns, you know, it, it just was one mm -hmm. of those nights. I think that was only the second night game in school history. And it was just the stars were lined up for us and, and really wouldn't have mattered what Notre Dame did. We were going to come out on top. It seemed that way. So, I mean, it's senior year. I mean, it's a great way to go out nine and two bowl win, beat Brady. I mean, all those things. And, and now it's over. So talk to me about that. Like when it ended, like, what were you thinking in the season's over? Where did you think your career would go? And sort of what, what did that transition look for you, look like for you out of, out of football? Yeah, well, I, I had the dream like everybody else does of playing in the NFL. And uh, again, maybe I was a little naive. I, I hadn't got any word about, you know, where I might be drafted or if I'd be drafted at all. Uh, I started to, obviously you get contacted by agents. So I started to have a few meetings um, just to kind of line somebody up, you know, in that respect, uh, got invited to the NFL combine. So started to train for that. Uh, didn't really know what to expect there either. Um, threw in the indoor field on campus at Michigan state as much as I could, as much as I could find some guys that would catch for me, uh, actually was sent down to Florida by my agent to train, uh, in the Orlando area, uh, just to get ready for the combine. Um, that was a great experience, but again, that's a very difficult experience as well. There's a lot of downtime. There's a lot of sitting around. There's a lot of medical evaluations. Um, mm -hmm. You do get to interview with some of the teams that want to talk to you. You know, you talk about, you know, your favorite play or, or coverages, defenses, those types of things. Um, going through a lot of, a lot of tests again, I uh, was very hopeful and uh, you know, the draft day rolled around, did not get drafted. Um, 
was disappointed by that, obviously, but signed as a free agent with the New York Giants. Um, and again, you know, you, you got to believe that you can play at that level and you got to believe that you're there and you're going to accomplish something when you're there. Uh, looking back on it now, I think I was just kind of an extra arm in camp. They were pretty well set at the quarterback position. Uh, but while you're there, you know, you're you're trying to do everything you can to compete and to make a name for yourself in the short period of time that you have there. And the small number of reps that you're actually given as a free agent, uh, it's it's tough to make an impression when you're not really getting those reps in practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't play in any of the preseason games. So uh, I was released there right before the season. We actually um, played th- three preseason games. And then after the, the Jets game, I was released. Um, that's a difficult uh, thing to, you know, endure as well. You know, you're laying in a hotel room. Sure. Uh, you know, on a Saturday morning, the phone rings and the coach says, uh, hey, you know, can you bring your your playbook over and come meet with the coaches? But they were very gracious and, you know, uh, you know, very nice on my exit interviews. Um, just kind of trained and continued to keep the dream alive. The following spring, I, my agent was able to get me another trial with the Washington Redskins at the time. That was just a weekend deal. Uh, didn't make that team, you know, at that point. Um actually tried to play uh, with the first version of the XFL, went down to training camp in Florida, if you remember that far mm-hmm. back. Um, didn't really have a great experience here. That was a that was a difficult organization to try and get off the ground. It was totally different from what I experienced in college. There wasn't a lot of organization going on. Uh, a lot of the coaches hadn't coached in 20 years. Uh, so I, at that point, I just said, you know, there's not a lot of opportunities here for me in football. I think I'm just going to start to look towards the next chapter of my life. And and so that's what I decided to do. But, you know, the further I've gotten away from my career and the more I've been able to reflect on it, um, in a lot of ways, I was very, very fortunate to have the career that I did. And I'm just so thankful for all the experiences uh, because there are guys that are much more highly recruited out of high school, much more talented than I am. But for whatever reasons, a lot of them out of their control, you know, for whatever reasons, they just don't get to experience some of the great things that I did. So I'm very grateful for it. That's awesome. And so what was your next move professionally once you accepted that football was over? Well, I was just trying to figure it out. You know, I, I gravitated back towards the East Lansing area. That's where I'd spent the last five years of my life and really had made some contacts there and felt comfortable there. You know, like we talked about a while ago, that was just kind of a a very comfortable environment uh, in and around campus for me. So I tried to just, you know, try a lot of new things. Um, wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Um, tried some broadcasting, tried some uh, business endeavors in, in terms of, uh, you know, different career paths. Wanted to stay as close to the game as I could. Mm-hmm. I, I knew I didn't want to coach because I had witnessed up close and personal how difficult and demanding that was. Maybe it was just coaching for Nick Saban, but I, I saw a lot of the time, um, that was dedicated uh, to being a college coach. I would love to be doing it even to this day, but I think the lifestyle is just not something that I wanted to have. So uh, I did some broadcasting, uh, Michigan State Radio, did some TV broadcasting uh, nationally. Um, you know, it's, I, I think it's all about just trying new things until you figure out or, or find something that you really like to do. And sometimes that happens very quickly mm-hmm. and sometimes that takes, you know, quite a bit of time. And so I think, you know, for me, I'm always, I'm always trying new things. I'm always looking to um, pursue things that I'm passionate about and and things that kind of light me up. So I don't know that there's ever a destination for that, but it's definitely uh, a lot of fun going through those experiences and and learning not just what's out there, but learning more about yourself as well in the process. Yeah, well, I think that you know, you and I are very similar in that respect. You know, this is my my second career is in you know, in the sports psychology field, it was not anything I ever thought about doing for the longest time. And then I made the switch and it just has been amazing. And then you get into that field and then all of a sudden you're doing a podcast and that's something you can relate to because you're doing a podcast as well. So can you talk about the Dropback podcast and, and, and what that's all about? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we talked about my experience as as a college quarterback, and I just found myself sitting around saying, you know, number one, who else had this similar experience to me as a Mm high-level quarterback? And what was their experience like 
during their playing days and what's it been like for them after their playing days ended? You know, because I certainly had my struggles and my reflections and wanted to hear from other guys around the country who really I never had the chance to connect with. So it's been very rewarding uh, from that perspective. Uh, but also, you know, at times since my career ended, because football was such a huge part of my life and my identity, I found myself feeling like I wasn't reaching my full potential. You know, I, I found myself saying, you know, there's there's got to be some more things out there that I know aren't necessarily on par with what I experienced in my athletic career. But I, I know that I have more to give and more to learn and I want to stretch myself a little bit. So um, you know, what can I do to, to make some connections and in the process, you know, have an impact on other people who might be listening to the show. So hopefully all three of those things, um, and hopefully there's some other things that I'm not even aware of, you know, some potential benefits from the show kind of all come together and hopefully the listeners are, are gaining some value from it. And I know I'm, I'm learning a ton in the process, not just from my guests, but about myself. And, and, uh, it's really helped me to kind of, um, you know, move in the direction of feeling like I'm giving back and I'm I'm having an impact on other people as well. Are there any themes that you could put your finger on that have come out of some of the conversations you've had with former quarterbacks in terms of what their experiences are? Like anything that jumps out at you as being something that consistently comes up as something that their experiences, you know, are that's unique or something that's always sort of pops up when you talk to people? Yeah, well, as you mentioned, I, I only interview current and form, former quarterbacks, um, so it's very it's a very unique perspective that these guys have, and it's a very <sighs> unique fraternity. So, you know, we talk a lot about uh, leadership, and it's interesting to hear everybody's different takes on leadership and their definitions of that. Uh, it's also really interesting to hear. Um, you know, guys talk about the mental side of the game. You know, we, we could certainly, you know, talk for an hour about footwork and arm mechanics and all that. But really what is more interesting to me and the questions that I tend to ask are things around uh, mindset, uh, you know, preparation. Um, you know, what do you do when you throw two interceptions that get returned for touchdowns to start the game like my last guest did when he was in college? How do you handle mm -hmm. that when... 70,000 people are sitting in the stands looking at you, wondering how you're going to handle that. You know, they came to see their hometown team win, and you just started the game by, you know, throwing a big interception, as I have done myself in a big game. Uh, you know, what do you do? What lesson do you learn from that? You know, because everybody's going to face adversity in their lives, and most people don't face adversity and then have the clock ticking on when they've got to go back out on the field. And and try it again, you know, with millions of people watching on mm -hmm. TV. So there's so many different themes that, that we'd like to talk about. Um, obviously, you know, the intelligence necessary for processing lots of information in a small amount of time, making quick decisions, um, not only overcoming adversity, but handling success. How do you handle success? How do you kind of detach from your identity once your career ends? You know, those are all things that not a lot of current athletes take the time to think about, but certainly once your career's over, you've got a lot of time to reflect back on, on what it all means. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. I just started working with a high school quarterback recently and, you know, I understand football probably better than the average bear, but I'm by no means an expert, but it's interesting, you know, when you start to talk to a quarterback and think about the demands of the position, I mean, to me, it's the single most difficult thing to do in all of team sports because of all the things that you mentioned. And as a mental performance coach, I think the thing that fascinates me the most out of all those things, and they're all important and interesting, is the decision-making process, right? Understanding what your reads are, understanding where you want to go with the ball, where do you put it, anticipation, focus. And, you know, what I talk to kids a lot about, and maybe you can comment on this because you've been in it, is, you know, Obviously, every system is different, right? You have different reads. You have a progression of reads as a quarterback. But just because there's a first read doesn't mean there's only one right decision, right? And talking to kids about, as young athletes, about decision-making and saying, like, maybe that was a good, the best decision, but there's probably one or two other good decisions that go, you know, right behind it. And just because you didn't make the best decision doesn't mean you made the wrong decision 
either. And I think that that's something that's hard for athletes to understand because there's such a high level of perfectionism, especially in elite athletes. Like I should have done this and I should have done it perfectly. And if I didn't, I'm a failure. Yeah. Well said. There's, there's so much, you know, pressure and scrutiny and eyeballs on you, especially at a high level in a major sport. And that's not even taking into consideration the pressure that you put on yourself, because as you mentioned, so many athletes chase perfection and it's difficult to tell yourself that even though we're chasing that perfection, it's unattainable. You know, we, we chase it in hopes that we catch excellence to quote Vince Lombardi, Mm -hmm. but it's really unattainable. Uh, But if you can, understand that and simultaneously still almost trick yourself into pursuing that knowing that you're going to become the best version of yourself then i think you've you're on the road uh you know to excellence but it's very difficult to do it's it's much more of a mind game with yourself um than it is a competition against your opponent and the quicker you can figure that out and almost not only embrace that but take pride in that mental war that you have with yourself, the better athlete you're going to be. You know, one of the biggest uh, things you can learn and one of the biggest things I had to learn at Michigan State was to almost, you know, take pride in getting knocked down and being able to get back up, not just literally, but figuratively. You you have to almost go on the offensive um, in terms of wanting that responsibility and wanting that adversity knowing that each time you face it, you're going to build up that muscle even more. I think as a young kid at 18, 19, when you get knocked down or you run up against something that's hard or you get yelled at by a coach, you know, your first reaction because of your immaturity is to kind of focus on yourself and how you're feeling and, you know, why is this happening to me? And, you know, play the victim instead of, you know, more of the player mentality, which is bring it on. I don't care what it is. I'm going to handle it. And there aren't many other people that can do what I'm about to do. And the confidence that comes from that is really, really, um, once you cross that threshold, it's something that can stay with you forever. Well, and I, and I think about this in terms of my work with high school athletes is because when you're in high school, most athletes that go on to compete in college, and I don't care where or at what level, most of those athletes are better than everybody else in high school. And so when you go to college, you're one of many and you're probably not as good as the other people around you. And so dealing with adversity is a new thing for a lot of athletes. And I couldn't help but think about Tom Brady in that instance. What makes Tom Brady, in my opinion, what he is, is his ability to bounce back from mistakes and to have this, like, he's almost like a cornerback in the sense that if you get burned, you come back and you just forget about it. And that's, I have to imagine, too, some of the adversity he faced at Michigan. Think about it. He wasn't a full-time player. The, the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL split time with Drew Henson for pretty much his whole career, and he was the 199th pick. So he learned how to deal with adversity, which I'm sure has served him in spades in the NFL because he's learned how to take a beating mentally for four years at Michigan. No question about it. You know, I saw a lot of players that were highly recruited on my team and the first time they ran up against some adversity, you know, they didn't handle it well and eventually kind of just fizzled out of the program. So everybody's got a decision to make. And, you know, I don't know where that decision comes from. I don't know where you find the, uh, you know, the fortitude and the courage to say, I'm going to believe in myself and and keep going no matter what. I'm sure it has a lot to do with, you know, a, a person's or an athlete's upbringing and their parents and their environment. But you know, you've got a decision to make. How good do you want to be and how bad do you want it? Um, but the the earlier an athlete can understand that, and really every human being, not just athletes, but you are going to face adversity, not just now, but forever, whether it's a little bit, it's a lot, it's a small thing, it's a big thing. Just accept it now and start working on your reaction to that because that really is where the magic happens. Um, I think a lot of young people really naively expect to go through, you know, a lot of these hard things and never face any adversity. And that's just not reality. So if you can kind of have that, that mindset and that perspective that it's going to happen, then I think you're one step ahead of everybody else already. Uh, Just a couple more questions before we wrap up here. So I want to go back to something you just said about a minute ago, 
How did you, when you were playing, right, you're playing in Michigan Stadium, Spartan Stadium, the Horseshoe. How did you cope with those situations where you made a mistake that maybe was debilitating or embarrassing? How did you bounce back in game from those adversities? Well, again, it's definitely a muscle. And as a quarterback, I looked at it as being fortunate, you're almost forced to forget about the last play because the clock is ticking. You know, whether you just threw the worst pass ever or you made the best pass ever, that play clock play clock starts immediately and you've got to get the next play and you've got to move on. So you've got to develop that short memory. You've got to forget about it. Um, there were many times after the game where I would talk to the media and they'd ask me about a specific pass in the second quarter and I had no idea what they were talking about because as soon as it happens, it's forgotten. And I'll go back and watch it on tape the next day. But I just do not have time or space in my brain to think about that or to analyze it. Uh, you've got to do it. And like you mentioned earlier, you've got to get to the point where you almost have that unconscious competence where you're not even thinking, you're just reacting. Mm -hmm. And that's why coaches tell their players, you want to get to the point where you can just play fast because when you're not thinking, that gives you the freedom to play fast and just react. And so if you can do that, um, then you're going to be a lot better off. You know, you see guys all the time who just make a bad play in a game on TV. They come off, the camera's on them, and they just can't shake it off, and it affects the next play. Even if you threw the best touchdown that's ever been seen on, on television, um, if you're thinking about that and, and mentally patting yourself on the back, you're not going to be in the zone and focused on the next play or the next series. So you've got to forget it. And, you know, it's almost, again, you, you've got to develop that sense of, of pride and in, in having that ability to forget. I mean, that's really why we are quarterbacks, why we want to play the position. We want all that responsibility on us. We want the risk of making the big mistake, but also the, the potential of making, you know, that big play that wins the game. Yeah. It's, uh I think the gold standard for that today in football is Russell Wilson. Like if you pay attention to what he's doing and his mental work in terms of trying to attain neutral thinking, right? Like if I do something good, don't put a value on it. If I do something bad, don't put a value on it. Just stay in the present moment and do what's in front of you. And I think that's really, it's, it's simple, but it, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I think it's really hard. And if I'm being biased, like that's something that athletes have to, they have to practice, right? Being mindful and being mindful enough to know that that stuff doesn't matter now. Only what matters is what's going on here in the moment. But that's not, I don't think that's, that's, it's, it's certainly not instinctive and that's not the way the brain works. The brain is wired to go to the negative. And so you've got to put in the effort and time to combat that, right? To, to be okay with whatever happened, I'm going to move on. And that's just not that easy. And so quarterbacks or any athlete that have that skill, I think are naturally going to have an advantage because they're not caught up in what happened before or what's going to happen next. Yeah. So I, I think the work that you're doing is great. And you mentioned, you know, Russell Wilson and you know, so much of what you just described is also related to the language that you use. Um, you know, it, it's not just about you know, saying positive things, like you mentioned, it's about not saying negative things because I think I read somewhere negativity or negative comments have five times the impact on positive ones or something mm -hmm. like that. So yep. that's pretty powerful when you have that knowledge as a lot more athletes do today. I certainly didn't know that when I played, but um, again, it's, it's like anything else and, and athletes, young athletes today should feel good that they can practice that just like they practice uh, throwing a ball or shooting a basketball or, or any, any of the other uh, skills that they're working on. So um, they've got a lot of advantages today if they they choose to take care or take advantage of some of those resources. Yeah. So last question for you. If you had to give one piece of advice to a young quarterback aspiring to play in college and beyond, what what would that piece of advice be? Well, I would say you got to love it. You know, and, and if you do love it, then you got to understand that you got to put in the work and it's not going to be easy. Um, you almost, again, have to take pride in the fact that it's hard and it's really hard. And you got to love the fact that not everybody can do it. Not, not everybody is willing to do it. Uh, you're going to have friends who are going to be, you know, playing video games till one in the morning. And if you want to be a quarterback at a high level, and I'm just using that as an example, but 
you can't do that. You can't do what everybody else is doing. You can't, you know, like I told you the story, that freshman camp that I was in looking out the window, you can't go to that concert. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. There are thousands of people that are at that concert. You can't be there because you're about to, in a couple of weeks, run out of the tunnel at Spartan Stadium in front of 75,000 people. And not one person on that field at that concert is going to be able to do that along with you. So if you can make those sacrifices and understand that not just making sacrifices, but you're going to have to at times suffer for what you really want to ultimately do. Mm -hmm. If you can understand that and be okay with that, then you're going to have a real shot. That's a great way to end. I, I couldn't agree more. So Bill, I just want to thank you for coming on. I, I really enjoyed talking to you. Um, even, you know, 25 years after we were in college together, we didn't know each other. And now we're here on a podcast right, having right. a conversation. <laughs> so thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely, Michael. Uh, thanks for having me. It was an honor and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Same to you. Take care, Bill. So what was your biggest takeaway from my conversation with Bill Burke? For me, it was that the life lessons we learn from sports are much bigger than the glory of our playing days. Bill followed a rocky path to Michigan State, put in the time and effort required to elevate himself to starting quarterback, and ultimately achieve great results through persistent hard work and sacrifice. Further, Bill has successfully applied the lessons learned on the field and in the quarterback room to his life after football. My suggestion to high school student athletes would be to believe in yourself and remain patient in your athletic pursuits. While things may not always unfold the way you expect, the lessons learned through hard work and patience will last a lifetime. I want to thank Bill for his kind generosity and the wisdom he shared with the Freshman Foundation community. You can learn more about Bill on social media at dropback, D-R-O-P-B-A-Q, and dropback.com. You can learn more about the Freshman Foundation on our website at freshmanfoundation.com. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you back for episode 15. Mike Huber is the founder and owner of Follow the Ball Coaching, located in Fairhaven, New Jersey. He is a mental performance coach and business advisor dedicated to serving athletes just like you reach their full potential on and off the court. The Freshman Foundation is all about helping you get to the next level. For more information, follow along on Instagram at The Freshman Foundation. Please subscribe. Give us a like on iTunes, Spotify, leave a review, tell a friend. Most importantly, come back in two weeks, ready to get better.